Welcome to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast. For the second time, we have multiple guests on the Dave Pash Podcast. The first time, we had Steve Levy and Brian Greasy, two members of the ESPN Monday Night Football crew. This week, we have two former Arizona Cardinal quarterbacks. They were teammates on the 2015 Cardinal team that went to the NFC Championship. Carson Palmer, who was recently inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame, and Drew Stanton, who currently is a member of the Cardinals broadcast team and has a Super Bowl ring, being part of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers run to the championship last year. We get into a lot of stuff here on this podcast, including some of the fun that they had back in the day playing for Bruce Arians. They used to have this game where they would throw a football into a trash bin and the loser would have to wear some crazy costume that was picked out by the winner. Carson and Drew will talk about some of their most embarrassing costumes and some of their favorite costumes from back in the day. It was a full polyester merman outfit. So I, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it and barely like it covered just, his nipples. <laughs> no, my nipples were hanging out. Plus, the dance that made Drew Stanton famous. Where did it come from? And what's their reaction to what Drew did on the sideline that the cameras happened to catch during a Cardinals win against the Seattle Seahawks? There was no rehearsal. That was raw emotion. And like, those are my three moves. And they'll, they'll, they'll come out at various times. They just all happen to come out at once. Like something just got spit out, like somebody threw up. Drew and Carson also talk about the 2021 Arizona Cardinals and whether they can make a deep run in the playoffs plus their thoughts on Kyler Murray and where he is in year three as the quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Hotels and Casinos. Sign up for BetMGM today using code CARDS1000 and get your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. New customer offer, paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 and over, Arizona only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Here they are, former Cardinal quarterbacks, Carson Palmer, College Football Hall of Fame inductee, and Super Bowl champion, Drew Stanton. So guys, one of the reasons I wanted to have you, have you guys on together, we I think this is episode 21. We've only done one other where we had multiple people on, and it was the Monday Night Football crew. One of the reasons I wanted to get both of you together is, first of all, because of your relationship, but also how much both of you meant to the Cardinals. Carson, obviously yours was more tangible, being in the ring of honor, being the quarterback of the NFC championship game team. But Drew, you played obviously a big role in several games uh, on the field, but also just your presence and your leadership and being a big part of what the Cardinals accomplished over a five-year span. When I decided to do this and I reached out to Drew to get his take on whether you'd be interested, he said, yeah, I think Carson will be interested. I said, okay, I, I'll text him. You didn't respond. And Drew said, don't worry about it. He'll, he'll get back to you. It might take a while, but he's a little off the grid, but he'll get back to you. So I know you're in Idaho. Carson, what all are you up to these days? Well, I mean, outside of, of chasing four kids around and coaching two sports and just all the kid load that, that comes just kind of a bunch of stuff. I've got my, 
my hands in a number of different kind of small things and whether it's brand representation for a couple of different brands, uh, real estate development, a couple of different charity uh, initiatives going, they're all things that I can juggle with, with my everyday life. Uh, they're non, you know, full day commitments, four days a week. Everything has a, a very minimal commitment a, a day or two a week um, so that I don't miss football practice and football games and you know, horseback riding, jumping that my daughter's doing. Uh, I got another daughter playing basketball, another son playing basketball. So um, I've got just enough going off the field, you know, away from of being a dad and, and chasing kids around where I'm, I'm interested, I'm intrigued, I'm challenged. They're not full-time commitments like broadcasting is. And, and as you well know, the, the travel schedule that, that comes along with that. So it's, it's just enough uh, we got just enough stuff going to to keep me challenged, to keep me interested, um, but also where I'm not missing out on you know the things that I missed out when I was playing in my kids' lives, like games and practices and performances and all those little things that come up with it. Or at 2 p.m. on a Wednesday, when you're playing football or or you have a full time job, you can't be at. But now that I'm at this stage of my life and in this stage of my career. I'm able to go and, and pull out of whatever I've got going and, and go and watch a performance at three o'clock or go and coach my son's football team and call plays for the seventh graders at three o'clock. It's awesome. And Drew is dipping his toe in, in the broadcast waters. I'm curious, Drew, how much are you enjoying it? Is this something you really want to pursue? And, and what else are you up to these days? Yeah, I think it's it's the same type of thing where, you know, I, uh, I'm just trying to be strategic in what I put my time and effort into. You know, uh, football consumed our lives uh, for over a decade and we put everything we had into it and there were sacrifices that had to be made. Um, we're both fortunate to have amazing wives that were a part of helping raise our kids, but now we want to be in the forefront of that. So, yeah, uh, I really enjoyed the broadcasting stuff. Again, it's been minimal from the standpoint of doing games here and there pregame mostly and just kind of interjecting what I see the trends of the NFL and I'm not that far removed. So I know most defensive coordinators, I know st- like players still on all the rosters. I mean, that was my job behind the scenes is knowing the ins and outs and the scouting reports. So it's been fun to see that. Uh, it wasn't so fun after the Detroit Lions loss, when I got to talk to all of the people calling in. Um, but, you know, I think it, it, you also see the passion of this fan base. And Carson, I got to witness that firsthand of, of how passionate the Bird Gang really is and the Red Sea and, and the benefit of being able to call that your home field. So to be a part of it, to be around the game again, especially this organization that I held in such high regard, it, it's been really fun. And I get to go to work uh, every other Tuesday because that's my schedule uh, to the Cardinals facility. I'm there for one hour and I leave. And again, I get to go make sure I'm there for my my daughter's pickup at 1245 or my son's football practice. So uh, all of those things, you know, are taking precedent right now. And as I navigate these new waters of retirement, uh, looking forward to what's in store. You guys get to Arizona the same season when BA and his staff get here. Were you guys friends at all before then? Did you know each other, each other? Did your paths cross at all prior to that? Because based on what I remember, you guys were pretty close when you guys were members of the Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, we we knew of each other, but hadn't spent really any any real time together. You know, we'd probably seen each other at an event here or there over the years because we were probably both in year six, seven, eight, nine uh, of our careers when we got there. Um, but really, we we developed a friendship over a lot of bottles of wine. You know, spending time watching a lot of uh, film together and just 
trying to figure out the new offense. And Drew had such a great background in the offense that was coming to Arizona because he was the year prior, he was in Indy with Bruce. So he had already had that whole offense installed. So he was a great sounding board for me who was coming in and didn't know anything and and uh, was able to really break some stuff down and, and show me the ins and outs of the offense after he'd been through it with a rookie quarterback and Andrew Luck, which there's no better way to have an offense installed to you when you're a vet, uh, when there's a rookie in the room. And, and it really is day one install from the jump. So he was a great sounding board. And that's kind of how our friendship and our work relationship started. Um, and then after that, of course, families got to know each other. We went on uh, multiple off-season trips together and, and spent a lot of time with, with each other's families. He's a lot older than me is what he's forgetting to point out. There's six, seven, eight, couple nine. Years. Yeah. Couple years. Uh, so I, I was, uh, yeah, I was a senior in high school and went to the lead 11 camp when he was a senior in college as a count as a counselor. And that was really where, you know, I was one of many high school kids that were there, but that's where I, you know, started to see him and all that and followed his career and the other guys that were there um, and actually knew his brother pretty well because we came out together. So, uh, you know, knew of Carson, but yeah, it wasn't until it was really training camp. You know, we got to know each other and there was a work relationship. But one night we were walking back from the hotel room and the door kind of opens and I look in and I see this bottle of Opus One sitting on his counter. And I was like, you like wine? And he was like, oh, I love wine. And I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> and like he said, it, it was five years of, you know, some really great football, but also some uh, phenomenal memories. I mean, I learned so much from him as far as being a father and being able to do all of these things because I was navigating new waters. I, I didn't know what life was like and the, the endless number of phone calls or FaceTimes that he would have on a bus in the locker room, in the meeting room um, with his kids, with his wife, it, it just modeled to me what that looked like to be able to balance all those things. Cause a lot of people don't do it successfully, but he was doing it in a way that I was like, man, that this is special. And I'm so fortunate to be able to see that on top of, you know, the great football plays and all of those things. Uh, it, it was really a complete blessing to be able to spend five years there. Cause you know, now my kids are old enough and, and to be able to see that and kind of pay it forward has been really neat. Do you remember? Cause Drew, you got to Arizona first did you think when you got to Arizona that you were going to be the starter and then the trade happened where Carson comes to the Cardinals and I think you got a pretty decent contract when you came out to Arizona if I remember and obviously you'd been with BA what was your reaction Drew when you got to Arizona and the trade was made for Carson and then Carson what was your reaction when you found out you were getting traded from the Raiders to the Cardinals yeah, well, I, I didn't know Carson uh, was coming. I knew uh, when I got out there, BA's like, hey, just sign, we'll work it out. Because I was I had a chance to stay in Indianapolis with Andrew. I loved Indianapolis. Uh, Clyde Christensen was my quarterback coach there who was instrumental in, in a lot of different ways in my life and didn't want to leave. But <laughs> I got out to Arizona, came on my trip, and they're like, hey, we're either going to sign Mike Glennon or we're going to maybe try and trade for Ryan Mallett. And I'm like, awesome. I will compete against those guys every single day of the week. And, it, you know, it was a great contract. It was more money than I ever had. And I felt really good about it and wanted a chance to compete to start because that's what I was looking for. 
And then they traded for Carson. And, you know, I, <laughs> I'm not stupid. I, I was well aware of how good he was and how good of his career was and, and all of those things. Uh, so I knew there was no competition at that point. But I also have had faith in, in the course of my career and tried to learn from everybody I have come across. And it was a complete blessing in disguise to show up here not knowing who I was going to go against. And there couldn't have been anybody else better to take a backseat to um, and really be able to just be in the backgrounds because that's where I felt like I thrived and was most comfortable throughout the entire course of my career. Yeah, um, when I got to Arizona, well, I, I didn't know where I was going to go. I was in Oakland. Um, that was just, a, quite frankly, a dumpster fire. They had just, Al Davis had just died. They had just fired Hugh Jackson. They brought in another coach and Dennis Allen. Um, and then, and I was getting ready to go into year two of Oakland. And then like the week before, a couple of days before they said, Hey, they want you to take a pay cut. They want to restructure your contract and a whole bunch of, uh, very, team friendly adjustments that were going to happen. And, I, and, and at that point in my career, I was just, I wasn't prepared to, to do that. And so I said, that's not going to work out for, for me. We, I, I can, I can, I can stay here with the current contract or can, can I find a trade partner? And said, so they gave me a couple of days to think about it. And I said, you know, nothing's changed. I haven't, I haven't changed my mind. And they said, well, why don't you find a trade partner? At that time, there was four or five teams that were that were interested, but at the end of the day, it came down to San Francisco and Arizona, both teams in the NFC West. And and um, you know, I, I didn't know a bunch about San Francisco. I knew there was kind of it was kind of a tumultuous time in, in San Fran with Harbaugh and, and Trent Baalke, the the GM at the time. There was a lot of kind of riffraff uh, in the news and, and things I was hearing. So I was hoping that wasn't going to happen. And then all of a sudden, I just got a call that I was going to Arizona, and I was on a phone with uh, with BA and and Steve Kime and Michael Bidwell. And um, before I knew it, I was an Arizona Cardinal and looking for a place to live and and for a school to put my kids in in Arizona. You guys had some great moments here together, uh, some incredible wins, and a culture that was built here. But there are a lot of people that remember the fun that you guys had. And, you know, I was talking to some guys that were part of that team recently about the costumes and the competition that you guys would have throwing a football into a trash can. The loser had to wear, was it the cost who got to pick who wore what, how did that play out? And what was the most embarrassing costume that each of you had to wear? Go ahead, Drew, start us off. <laughs> I have my favorite. Well, that, that I just was talking to my son Pletch the other night about one costume I put you in in particular that I can't wait to talk about. But I'm gonna let you start us off. <laughs> I don't. I mean, we could do a whole entire podcast on just this one subject because I feel like it garnered so much media attention. Uh, it really started. So my career started in Detroit with uh, John Kitna, who also was in Cincinnati when Carson was drafted to Cincinnati. So we had a mutual friend in John Kitna um, that kind of brought us into the league and, and helped us out and showed us some of the ropes. So I learned the bucket drill from Kitna and it wasn't until I was reunited with Carson that it became this competition. And then all of a sudden it just grew into this bigger and bigger thing of like, initially 
we just had costumes and you would makeshift and try and humiliate the person and send them out for pregame warmups. Like Matt Barkley had to go when we played the Colts and we put like chaps on him out of oh, yeah. Gatorade towels. Oh, yeah. And his wife was so mad at us with like Ugg boots. And it was like, just however you could do it. And then all of a sudden, I think it was like year two. I was like, I'm going to step this up a little bit. And all of a sudden the Halloween store right by the facility there on Elliott was open and I walked in and just raided everything. I mean, it was like the Michelin, uh, Michelin tire man, the stay puff, like everything I could get my hands on that would blow up or humiliate somebody dressed up like a baby, anything that I could get, like I was getting that. And then all of a sudden Amazon became more prevalent and we were ordering stuff. We had an entire locker in between us and the bottom shelf there, it got to the point where we had all of it just okay, what are we going to make somebody else dress up in this week? Or we were all hoping to always get Pat, but Pat would then pay money to get out of there. What then, Peterson, which then went, right? Pat yes, Peterson. Patrick okay. Peterson, yes, would pay money to get out of it because he was so worried about his custom suit he had picked out with the matching coat with the handkerchief and the belt and the shoes to match. Uh, even though he dressed up like Buddy the Elf, he didn't even know who Buddy the Elf was. And he was like, I got so many likes on Insta or on Twitter at the time. But he would do that. He would give us like, you know, a decent amount of money. And that would just go into our wine fund. And we would be able to, to spend more money on wine, which was for the betterment of everybody. Um, that's how it all kind of started. Oh, I figured you were going to ask about the favorite costume. I, if Carson already has his right off the bat, I'll, I'll delegate to him. Yeah, I mean, there were, there were some really good ones. And just to echo some of Drew's points, I mean, really the goal was to make the person that had to dress up look like the biggest horse's ass possible. Like, how could you make them look? How, how could you be as demeaning as possible without crossing the line? And um, one of my favorites was, you know, the best, in my opinion, was was when you would win on a road trip, because that would mean the loser had to dress up for the entire plane ride from Arizona to most likely the East Coast, get on an airplane, fly on the team plane, get off the airplane, go back through the airport, go through the hotel. There's always fans at the hotel and we would have to walk through the lobby of the hotel in this outfit. And my favorite all time, and I was just telling this story to my son um, the other night, was I we used to fly Delta back in the day and I bought an actual Delta stewardess outfit online. I don't know how I found it. I logged on to Delta. I signed in like I was a stewardess and, and, and put my sizes into their website. And this sure enough, this Delta full on Delta ladies stewardess outfit, with the white gloves, the little neck thing. I don't know what you, you wear those neck things all the yeah. time. Where that little neck yeah. thing is the white gloves the little for hat. sure. Yeah the white gloves, the little purse. And he looked like a Delta stewardess. And then the best part was we get on the plane and Drew is wearing the same exact outfit as the stewardesses that are showing us to our seats on the plane. So that was my all-time favorite. <laughs> what did you wear through? We had to walk through the lobby in Philadelphia. In Philly. What did you? I'll never forget yeah. it. Never... <laughs> I was going to say, I don't remember what it was. And I go, I think I might have crossed the line with that one. It was definitely a I, I felt so good about it that I could not wait. Like I had this picked out for the whole year, just when he lost. And by the time he came in, I sprinted to my locker after he lost and it was hanging in his locker. He just walked in and he was like, really? yeah, it was a, it was a full polyester merman outfit. So I, <laughs> that's right. And I was it was dressed like, as a mermaid. 
Yeah, it and barely like it covered just, his nipples. No, my nipples were hanging out. It was like it cut off right here, and it was a full-on mermaid tail, but it was made out of polyester, and we were flying yeah. from, from Phoenix to Philly, so we had a four-hour-plus flight, and then the bus and the airport and, and the hotel, and I just I was drenched. I was sweating. The thing started off as green and ended up like dark brown because it was just full of perspiration, unfortunately. And there was like a wedding going on downstairs, right? So like we're walking through the lobby waiting for the elevator because it wasn't like we could go in the back way and strategically go to our room. We had to wait for the like the elevators in the front and everybody's sitting there, cameras out, just snapping, snapping. I actually, I took pictures with the bride and groom in my mermaid outfit. People are like, that's, that's future college football Hall of Famer. Uh, Heisman Trophy winner Carson Palmer wearing a merman outfit. That is priceless. Do you think that's one of the reasons why you guys had success? I, because of the chemistry, because you guys had fun. I mean, obviously you took your job seriously, but there was a culture and BA was about fun as well. I mean, he wanted to win, of course, but how much do you guys think that played a role in your success? I think there was, you know, a mentality of, hey, when it's time to work, it's time to work. But there's also that camaraderie that goes into it of like, hey, you have to relax and you have to be yourself to go out and play well. And, and I think, I mean, I'm a firm believer, obviously I'm biased, but everything flows from the, the quarterback room and how tight knit those guys are and how well the, the they are, the leadership components of that. And Carson was so good at that. Um it really takes on the mentality of the team and the organization. And yeah, I mean, people saw the lightheartedness that we had at times, but the amount of work that went in Monday through Saturday, those endless hours that we put in and all of that stuff when nobody else was in the building, you know, that's what really created that bond uh, over a, a course of five years. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I think there's a time and place for everything. And just Dave, as you know, the, the work week of a, of an NFL season is it really starts Sunday night and you prep Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, that kind of mentality that the hay is in the barn when you get to Saturday. So the days that we were kind of goofing off and having fun with traveling attire and pregame attire, we'd put the work in and, um, we had done what needed to, to be done for us to be successful on the field on Sundays. Now, if we were doing this on Wednesday in the middle of install and all the things that come in on a Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, it would be a different deal. But I think BA respected that Drew and I and whoever else was involved in the quarterback game put our work in in the week. And we were very serious, very focused, um, very concerned with with dotting every T, crossing every I, all the X's and O's of the game plan. We knew it inside and out. And by the time we got to Saturday, it was our time to get ready to play and and the game was 24 hours away and that's what we we'd put in all the work for and, and all the extra time watching film and drew and I coming in early and watching film with guys and just, you know, all the things that, um, that it takes to feel great going to bed on Saturday night before you get ready to play on Sunday. We had done all those things. We had done the mental exercises, the mental reps, the physical reps, um, that when we got through that week, it was kind of like a big exhale. We got to compete in the bucket drill. We got to throw footballs in a trash can. We did our walkthrough, and then we got on the plane and went to play. And like I said previously, all the hay was in the barn. So 
you know, if there was ever a situation and, and Bruce would be the first to put it into it where we weren't putting the time and work in and then goofing off on a Saturday, he would have put it into it. But I think he respected the way that, you know, the quarterback room led the team and led the way we worked, led the way we practiced, led the way we watched, you know, film and, and were in meetings. And then when it was time to enjoy the fruits of our labor on Saturdays and Sundays, we enjoyed the wins. We enjoyed the prep going to the games and flying to the games and going to these new cities. And um, we had put all the time and the work in and the week. And I think that was respected by the entire coaching staff and the organization where it never became a distraction or a problem for the team. I do want to get into some serious stuff, meaning football, actual football discussion about what you guys accomplished, but then also your thoughts on the Cardinals and some other teams in the NFL and some other players in the NFL. But one more question related to having fun. And this one, was actually in a game. You probably know where I'm going with this one, Drew. In fact, you can't Google Drew Stanton's name without Drew Stanton dance first coming up. It was the sideline dance in Seattle. Carson, had you ever seen – first of all, Drew, how did you come up with that? And Carson, did you, like, see <laughs> before you know it was coming? Like, <laughs> Hold on. Let me, let me interject here. So we get done, right? We're This is – our vantage points wholeheartedly. We get in for the locker room. We are so excited. We just won. And we come over and Mark Dalton, who is in part of a part of everything communication wise for the Arizona Cardinals comes over and he was like, you went viral. And I was like, why did Carson go viral? He's like, no, you did. And he's like, for your dance. And I was like, we both looked at each other. I was like, what dance? And like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? He goes, no, they like were panning down on the third down where Dre scored and they stopped right on you and you had an ISO. And I was like, really? I, I had no idea. So there was no rehearsal. That was raw emotion. And like, those are my three moves and they'll, they'll, they'll come out at various times. They just all happen to come out at once. Like something just got spit out, like somebody threw up. Um, so that's how it kind of all transpired. And neither one of us had any idea until it was what it was. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just as, as surprised and shocked. And as soon as I saw the video, I think I watched it on the way home from Seattle, probably 85 times. Didn't but you yeah, get I mean, fined that game though? You got fined that game too, right? For some inappropriate misconduct. Yeah. Yeah. I got fined that game. Did you get fined for that dance? You should have been fined nope. for that dance. No, there wasn't nope. quite enough. You didn't have enough hip rotation. You didn't have enough flexibility in your hips. For the it leg to didn't be get high enough. From it the to leg go went over my like, head. Yeah. PG to PG 13, where they find you. Well, it was cold in that Seattle too. So tight. that was, you were you know, tight. Yeah. yeah those enemies yes. are always tight. Yep. With the playoffs right around the corner and obviously the Cardinals, they're going to get in. It's just a matter of when we all hoped it would be two weeks ago, but here we are uh, still not officially in, but it's going to happen. What do you guys recall from that run to the NFC championship game in 2015 and is there a particular moment I think of the shovel, either the shovel pass to Fitz or just before that, where Carson, you bounce off of an offensive lineman and Larry's wide open on the far side and nobody's around him for Green Bay. Is it one of those two moments, guys, or was there something else from that run that stands out to you the most? Um, for me, you know, I, there's – you know, it's never a play that, that sticks out in my head. Um, it's just the guys. I mean, it's, it's, it's the group of, of individuals that were on that team. And you think about the secondary and 
and shoddy and, and and you can go on and on down the list that that locker room full of guys i mean there's plays in every game that win and lose a game um and there's some that are highlighted more some that are played on sports center more on instagram feeds more but um you know i i just think back that group of guys that secondary that the leadership we had in the secondary the leadership we had on offense and the offensive line and then just kind of how the season ended and then the team kind of got blown up and we started all over again after winning 12 games or whatever, 13, 14, whatever we won that year. You know, I, I, I think back of just the group of individuals, the guys that, um, that came in with BA um, like drew um, like a handful of other guys and the guys that were there before that and were there for the struggling years and, and just more, more importantly, I just think about those guys and, and, um, it's not a play from a game. It's not a play from a practice. It's just collectively when you think back of that year starting and that group starting and training camp and going through, you know, that long month long training camp um, out there by the stadium. And just as the season went on and progressed, um, guys went down, guys stepped up, made plays. Drew stepped in a bunch of games, and won games, um, you know, backups all over the place, stepped in and made play. Those are the things that stick out in my mind. Those are the memories I have. Yeah, the Larry Fitz shovel pass and all that jump out at you, but th those are what the public sees. Um, what Drew and I saw firsthand, you know, the way that Tyron Matthew grew up that year and and came up and had an amazing year, an amazing season, and then to lose him in Week 17 in Philly and just the way he's come back and the and and I know Drew probably feels the same way. I'm so proud every time I get to watch Tyron play. I saw him as a rookie. I saw him as a, a late, you know, second or third round draft pick guy that was just trying to figure it out. So now he's an all pro and a Super Bowl champ. And um, seeing the adversity he went through and the composure he kept himself with throughout the years past, those are the things that jump out to me. Yeah, I would say the same thing. I think that everybody thinks about those things. And there's no doubt I've never been in a stadium louder than that, that game against the Green Bay Packers when we were able to go down and win. And uh, the Red Sea was just absolutely going nuts. Uh, but really, I think more than that is we went to Pittsburgh and we had like just an awful week. We stayed at the Greenbrier. It was bad weather. We went to Pittsburgh and lost and B.A. was just mad, you know, because he wanted to beat Pittsburgh so bad. And then we just started rattling off these wins and just rattle. And, and it got to a point where we just expected to win. It wasn't like, hey, like we want to win this week. If we do the, everything that we needed to do, we were going to win a football game. And we, and we started building that confidence. And that's really where I think BA kind of changed his mantra. Of, this is your guys's team. We're going to go as far as you take us. And the frosty Rutgers of the world and to Carson's point, all of us role players accepted our role and loved being in that role. And when called upon, we were going to be prepared to thrive in that role or try to do our best. So from there, that's really where our team was formed. And, and that's what carried us on because that mentality was so unique where everybody was unselfish. We went out there and it wasn't about, hey, I'm not making enough money or I'm not starting or I'm not doing any of these things. We came to together as a collective whole and pushed it all the way through to the NFC championship game and, and just lost to a really good football team. The 2021 Cardinals being on the cusp of the postseason, what are your guys' thoughts on where they are? Because obviously Cardinal fans – are unsettled right now based on the last two games. But as you guys know, everybody goes through a stretch like this over the course of the season. I shouldn't say most teams. Everybody has at least one bad game. 1972 is the last time somebody went undefeated 
all the way through. And they didn't play as many games. And now you're playing 17 games. So it's even more now an emphasis on trying to keep things together, which is hard to do. And also the unpredictability of the NFL week to week. I mean, you guys know about that. So there's still time for the Cardinals to turn it around. Where do you guys feel they are at this point? Are you concerned about them being able to fix it and have a deep run in the playoffs? Well, I mean, I, I just, I think, um, I think they're one of the best teams in the NFC. I, I think there's a, there's a lot that needs to be found out and a lot that needs to be seen. I think for Kyler Murray to lose DeAndre Hopkins, his security blanket, his go-to when things break down, he finds a way to get him the ball one way or the other. That's a huge loss. I think we're going to find out in the next three or four weeks whether it's overcomable or not. But just watching the the little bit that I saw last week's game, I, you know, the thing that concerns me is some of the leadership deficiencies that I've seen. I mean, some of the body language I've seen from Kyler, when you're down in Detroit, you just can't do, you just, you need to keep, even though you're faking it, you need to keep a rah-rah face on. You, there's just certain things you need to do as a quarterback that he's still young, he's still learning, he's still working his way through. But I don't, I don't think the season is lost. I don't think the season is over. I think everything's out in front of them. I think they need to totally adjust the way that they go about the next handful of weeks because DeAndre was such a big part of their offense. And I know he was gone for a week here and a week there and a hamstring and different things. But now that you know he's not coming back, now that you know he will be on the sideline in a sweatshirt and sweatpants, that just changes your mentality from a quarterback standpoint. That changes your, your mentality from a play caller standpoint. Um, that changes your confidence in that offensive huddle. There, there's a guy in that huddle that can that can just flat out win a game. And when you take DeAndre, that guy, out of that huddle, it changes the dynamics of the huddle. And I, I just really look to see what kind of leader Kyler is going forward because now it's really all on him. Now it's really on his shoulders. And I know Chase Edmonds is back, and they've, they've lost some other guys, and there's been some leaders that have, have, you know, fallen to injury and some older guys that are no longer on the team like Larry Fitz, but now it's on Kyler. Can Kyler lead this team? Can he find a way to shake that, you know, just bad body language that we've seen the last couple of weeks? Can he find a way to lead this group of guys? Can he find a way to overcome some, some adversity that they're going to have to overcome again? They're going to be down multiple scores again, like they were last week in Detroit. Can they overcome it? Um, I absolutely think Tyler's capable of doing it. Um, I absolutely think Kyler has the ability and the, the, the God-given athleticism, the arm talent, all of that. He's got it all. Now he needs to prove it. Now he's at a really, a really important turning point in his career. Let's see what he can do. I can't wait to watch him play. I cannot wait to watch this team play because um, it's, it's now solely on his shoulders. And, and he's got enough talent around him. He's got playmakers on the defensive side of the ball, guys that can create turnovers, guys that can get to the quarterback, create sack fumbles, all of that. The team is very well built. The team, In my opinion, it's an extremely talented team. They don't have the depth that some teams have, but there are playmakers all over the place. And they've lost a couple in DeAndre and some other guys, but there's enough talent to overcome it. And I can't wait to watch these next couple of weeks unfold. Yeah, I think uh, a very similar thought to Carson of, you know, the, the quarterback position is so important. And the saving grace is having somebody like Colt McCoy in that room. I think somebody that Kyler can trust, that he can look to, that he can feel comfortable talking stuff through with. But 
now is the time to really, you know, screw everything down and say we got to start playing our best football because the first portion of this season they looked unstoppable. They really they had so many answers for anything anybody threw at them. And whether it was a team that wanted to run the ball, they jumped on them early and, and took them out of what they did best. They haven't been able to do that. So how do you go to a plan B or C and still find a way to win a football game. They haven't been able to do that. Uh, I, I talked about it before. I think it's extremely difficult if you're a play caller and also a head coach, because those are two very important roles. And sometimes you don't have a pulse of what's going on on defense, or you need to, Hey, maybe we need to call a special teams play here, or a fake punt, something to flip momentum back in our favor. And so it, it's hard. I think that uh, the arrow is not pointing up, but I also don't think it's pointing down either. The, there's nothing, to hang your hat on they have a chance to get in the playoffs and when if you get in the playoffs everybody's level playing field at that point and so uh to Carson's point I I think they have a bunch of veteran guys I don't know how many quote-unquote leaders they have I don't know how many Carlos Dansby's there are on defense that he'll get up there and rah-rah and get everybody going you know the Tyron Matthews of the world that will call out a secondary uh you know a Patrick Peterson or a Larry Fitzgerald that would just lead by example they have those kind of guys and those guys are great you need all different types and different forms of leadership but I want my quarterback I want to be able to look at him on the sidelines and I want to be able to tell if they're up by 40 or down by 40 and everybody to a man yesterday or uh, has talked about this uh, different days about Kyler's body language and if it's that apparent to a fan watching on that think about the effect that it's having on his teammates around him and he probably knows it he's never had to truly deal with adversity and I said this uh post game I said losing at this point doesn't show character or build character it reveals it and we're gonna learn a lot about Kyler Murray and that's what Carson was talking about we're going to have a great sense of where this field, this team is because they're only going to go as far as Kyler is, is capable of taking them. But he has the weapons to do it in A.J. Green. He has the weapons to do it uh, with Chase Edmonds and James Conner. I mean, I, I know this team so well, probably better than I ever have because I've started to study and talk about them. I mean, the offensive line and all those things. Sometimes it's just a matter of rewiring your brain. If you get hurt, hit early in the game, I'm saying, i got to stay in this pocket and make plays. I've got to be on time and in rhythm and making these on-time throws so the ball is coming out regardless of how the rush is. And and that's just – it's a hard trait to learn, but it's a necessity to be able to understand that and situational football as you move forward. So along those lines of putting the onus on Kyler Murray to play great because usually the team that wins a Super Bowl has the quarterback that's playing the best. And, Drew, you were part of that last year. Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers didn't win their division. Wild card team. It was this week last year, you get signed to the practice squad. So you're a part of the team for the run to the Super Bowl. And then you're activated on game day. So you're you're out there for the championship. What was that experience like, Drew? And Carson, feel free to jump in on this. I'm curious, as two guys that played the position, what is it about Tom Brady? I mean, look, he obviously has incredible skill as a passer but his leadership the intangibles why is he so this guy's almost 45 years old and he's still doing it at an elite level why do you guys think that is well i mean getting a chance to see how he operates and how he prepares it's meticulous i mean the it is so structured almost to a point where it's robotic and you're like is this guy human i mean the the structure in which he goes about everything but he also is 
he has everything so calculated on how he does things. I mean, what he eats, his you know, he's has the uh, Alex Guerrero, who's his massage guy or also a workout guy. Like he has a guy that's constantly working on him, all of these things. So he has everything set up exactly the way that he wants it to feel most comfortable. But again, as Carson was talking about earlier on the show, everything is a build up to Sunday, a build up mentally, physically uh emotionally you know all of these things and he is a tremendous leader but there are some guys to be quite honest that can't play with him because he demands so much i mean if you look at the game sunday night uh that poor running back that had to go in there uh, he didn't know what he was doing you could see tom just glaring at him with these eyes and this kid's confidence just goes it just like it plummets. So there's certain people that can handle that, and there's certain people that can't. But Tom has a tremendous ability to pull people along with him. And seeing the way that he connects to everybody within that locker room when I got there and, and saw it for six weeks, much like Carson, right? Like, you don't have to go around and tell somebody you're a leader. If you have to tell somebody you're a leader, you're not a leader. And the most important thing about leadership is followership. So you better make sure everybody's following you. And all of those people, when we got to the playoffs, thought we were going to win, even on defense. Like, man, we got Tom Brady. Like, everybody to a T because he had been there, he had done that, and they knew what it was going to take for him to be successful and the team as a collective whole to be successful. So it was great to see it. And just be a part of it and have it culminate at the very end. Because, I mean, going into Green Bay, uh, they said there was 10,000 people in the stands. I mean, they, they either don't know how to count in Wisconsin or they let anybody in that had a heartbeat. And they had these boards that they were hitting against the stands. It was so loud after going to New Orleans, which was so eerie because it was dead silent in there. I mean, I, I it was I'm used to that place. I've been there for the playoffs. I've been there for regular season. Going into New Orleans in a regular year, it would have been really difficult to try and come away with a win, especially we've seen the struggles Tampa's had against New Orleans since Tom's tenure. Anything, Carson, um, that you've noticed playing against Brady over the years that makes him probably the greatest to ever play the position? Just everything. I mean – Every attribute, um, you know, his ability to stay healthy, um, accuracy, toughness, leadership, all, all those things. Um, but I mean, I, I also think so when I was a buddy of mine, Matt Castle played in New England and I would always reach out to Matt to get his scouting report from New England. Like, hey, man, send me what you got on Buffalo. Hey, man, send me what you got on the Jets. We're getting whoever I was getting ready to play that. I knew played New England, I would always try to get the past scouting reports because it was so in-depth. And I don't know if Brady was a part of that. Typically, a quarterback's not. That's a coaching staff thing. Um, but I think Brady is is the greatest to ever play. I think he played for a great, great coach, most likely the greatest coach to ever play. And and kind of what Drew was talking about, it, is it's, it's, it was very meticulous with him, everything build up. That, that's probably – that foundation was probably started in New England and probably from Bill Belichick. So you combine one of one of the most meticulous, toughest, most accurate, um, best, best thrower in adverse conditions um, with the best coaching staff. I mean, you look at Bill Belichick's coaching staff. It's not a bunch of his buddies. It's not a bunch of his boys from high school or somebody that gave his kid a scholarship in college, whatever that is. Um, he interviewed. And, and he vetted all of his coaches and, 
it wasn't about anything other than their ability to teach and not their ability to coach, but their ability to teach. And you just look at that staff. And I know he hasn't spurred off a ton of great head coaches, um, but he's he's coached uh, and been the head coach of a bunch of great, great coordinators and position coaches. And, you know, I just always think back. I was always hitting up Castle, sending him a box of wine, doing whatever I could to get his scouting reports because his scouting reports made our scouting reports look like they were the JV football team. Um, and so you combine, you know, all of the attributes that Brady has with all the attributes that Bel Bill Belichick has, and then he transitions right into a Bruce Arians uh, organization where Bruce has brought in his coaching staff and built. I mean, you look at Todd Bowles and on and on down the line, the coaches that he's brought into Tampa. Great players and great teams win football games and win championships and you combine great players and great teams with great organizations and great coaching staffs, and that's a recipe for championships. I had about 10 more questions, but I know you guys have dad duty. So just a couple more. We'll, we'll get you guys out of here. Carson, congratulations on being inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Very well deserved. I'm curious your thoughts on Lincoln Riley, the new head coach at USC, when it happened as somebody that I don't do a ton of Pac-12 college football but a lot of my college basketball games are Pac-12 games, so I'm, I'm very interested in the conference having success and getting into the college football playoff, which it's been a while since it's happened. Do you think this is a game changer, not just for USC, but for the Pac-12 and maybe for, for college football as a whole, that there is now a powerhouse coach? Yes, he hasn't won a national championship, but got to the college football playoff. I think it was three out of four years, one of those years with, with Kyler. Do you think that this means USC is back and that the Pac-12 then is back in the college football championship hunt? Well, we're not back until, until we're in it and, and we're playing for, for the championship. Um, but believe it or not, Drew's actually the one that broke me the news. I didn't know until I got a text from Drew saying something about Lincoln Riley. And I was like, what? And I, logged onto my phone and, and realized what had happened. So Drew's a little mini Adam Schefter. Watch out. Watch out, Dave. Be careful. Well, I sent it to your P.O. box, though, the, the P.O. box yeah. in your town. Yeah. I had to send it there and smoke screens I sent out to, to you in Idaho just to. Yeah, you broke me the news. Kudos to you. Not that um, I'm following everyday Twitter feeds and all the all the intricate social media platforms that you're following and getting tidbits of information from. But that came to me from you. I did not know it happened. Um, well done. Um, but no, I mean, I, they're, they're not back until they're back. I mean, it just, just sign him to a, to a long-term contract doesn't mean anything until he proves uh, he's worthy of that contract, but absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's the same thing in the NFL. The NFL is better when the Cowboys and, and Pittsburgh are, are quality teams. Um, the NFL is not better when, the Bengals and the Bills are great. College football is, is better when Alabama and Texas and USC and Michigan and Michigan State. Um, but but the bigger teams throughout all of all of the power conferences, when when those teams are the best, it just seems like that's when college football is the most respected. And when you have, unfortunately, you know, Cincinnati's or Boise State's playing in the playoffs, it just kind of doesn't feel right. But when you have these power five conference, these these dominant, massive endowment universities playing in the championship, 
or playing for a championship in the, in the playoffs, it just feels better. It feels right. So um, I absolutely think it's a great thing for college football. Um, I absolutely am, am proud that he's our coach. I think he is, we could not have hi- had a better hire drew. As soon as drew sent me that text, I was texting him back and it's like, man, we were both going back and forth. Like what a great hire. And it came out of nowhere. It came out of absolute left field. Nobody was even really, there were no whispers of maybe Lincoln Ryan Riley would leave Oklahoma. You just couldn't fathom that. Um, but I just think it was a 10 out of 10 higher. And that's, you know, 20% of the work done. They have 80% of the work done, which is getting those recruits on campus, coaching them up, getting them on the field and, and proving them to be successful. So there's a lot of work to do, but absolutely. I think it's great for USC. Uh, and more importantly, it's great for college football because when USC's in it, um, and, and the power, you know, the top teams in the power conferences are, are the top teams in the country. Um, it's the same thing in the NFL. It's like all the big markets. You want the New Yorks and the LA's and Chicago's and, and these big market cities, um, playing in the playoffs. You, you know, for the, from the NFL standpoint, you don't necessarily want these really small market teams playing in the playoffs. You want the best, of the best, the biggest, of the biggest. And I think when SC's in it, and when SC is competing for a championship, it's great for college football. Not saying that Michigan State started this whole thing, because obviously there have been coaches that have been getting long-term major contracts for a while, Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban, two names that, that come to mind. But this year anyway, Michigan State electing to sign Mel Tucker in the middle of the season to a 10-year, almost $100 million contract, that started to – turn I have to imagine for Brian Kelly the wheel started spinning he even said look I'm not leaving Notre Dame unless that job comes along where it's just crazy money well it did it happened with LSU Lincoln Riley I don't know that Lincoln was looking to leave Oklahoma all of a sudden huge money which he would have been able to get anyway but because of what happened with Mel and Drew tell me if you disagree with this it felt like the floodgates really opened and now you got coaches leaving teams that were still in the hunt for the college football playoff in teams that are playing major bowl games coaches are bailing because they're getting those basically contracts that you're going to retire from and you could even if you last two years you got 10 years guaranteed you're set for life yeah well or it's like norman oklahoma la private jet (laughs) um whatever lincoln's deal was it was pretty sweet but yeah i mean when i saw those numbers thrown around uh for mel tucker i was like i mean if he's gonna get that at lsu then go to lsu i mean we're michigan state we we've hung our hat on on being a blue collar school that that has always kind of played second fiddle and they started talking about 10 years 95 million dollars now it helps to have a booster that's a billionaire that was a walk-on for Izzo um, <laughs> and Matt Ishbia, and he just wrote the check apparently. So I need to get in touch with him. Or it also had me contemplate, should I get into coaching? Because that would be a pretty nice payday. I can only imagine, you know, uh, what that looks like. But, it, you know, I think it's great for college football uh, to be able to get a household name at a household university. Because if you look around at the landscape of college football now, um, I, I think, you know, Sark is, is going to get the, everything corrected at Texas. 
Um, but the Florida's, the Florida states, the Miami's of the world. I mean, even, you know, Michigan is now back, but there's not a, a perennial powerhouse or a household name like the Joe Paterno's or Bobby Bowden's of the world anymore. Um, but the Carson's point, because Carson and I later in that same conversation, we were talking about if you become a winner, the university will back you through those endowments, through the money, and they'll make that money up tenfold by support uh, of people that want to jump on the bandwagon. And USC will gladly welcome that because they have the people out there willing to do it, but you're not going to back a Clay Helton. I mean, no offense to Clay Helton, but it's harder to do that. And it's a harder sell at that point versus a Jimbo Fisher type of a guy or Brian Kelly. I mean, I saw Brian Kelly like doing like the dance with some guy like recruit. I'm like, this looks so awkward, but that's what you do now. Right. To, to get, top level recruits and you have to do all of this crazy stuff because your catering and your livelihood is attached to 17 and 18 year old kids. All right. Last one. We'll get you out of here. You guys have touched on your love of wine several times. I'm not going to ask you what your favorite wine is because for those that are listening, it's probably very expensive. So give people out there who may be interested in wine or thinking about starting to become interested in wine. What are some good value buys for people out there that you would recommend? I could tell you Carson's without even saying. <laughs> What's mine? Camus. Camus is a good one. Yeah, but that's, hold on now. That's a, everybody knows. You said one. value wine. Right? Good value, yeah. good value, like yeah. less expensive within, I mean, Camus, you're talking about anywhere between 75 to $100 just for their <clears throat> That's value wine yeah. for Carson. That's like a Tuesday. That's like a Tuesday. Like, oh, I wasn't asking for Carson. I'm asking for the listener that probably is to go out and spend a hundred bucks on a Tuesday night on an everyday cab. Drew, you're you're the connoisseur. You got to have. So you really don't. So what you're saying? What you're saying is all you guys do is drink expensive wine. There, there are no, 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 no. I would back up and start say, what do you like to drink? First of all, right? Like, if you like to drink cabs because Napa's just gotten so out of control and everything is expensive, right? But if you're open to drinking different varietals, then I can recommend a lot of different stuff like Pinots or different stuff of that nature. Um, you know, Carson and I have talked most recently about getting more into like Grenaches and Syrahs because the Napa Valley cab is just taken off. And whether it was, you know, just a crazy year, like it was in 17 or, or they have smaller surplus where they didn't make wines. Like all of those things, Napa has just gotten out of control with the cab where you can find really good value wine, but it's more so. And that's why I love wine and love talking about wine. And Carson and I enjoyed it. It's so subjective, right? What do you like in wine? And when I introduce people or try to educate people on what, how I learned, it's a lot of, okay, well, what region do you like? What tasting notes do you like? What don't you like? That's equally as important as what you do like. So, I mean, I can nerd out on this. We could have a part two of this podcast and start talking about it because I think it's so fun for people to hone in on what they really like. And I don't think it's a price point because you can get enamored with ratings and Robert Parker can tell you how something should taste or what it tastes like. Or uh, I have been told I have an amazing mid palate uh, by multiple people in Napa Valley. So that's true. So what but does that beyond mean? Beyond that, what does that mean for in layman's terms? What so, does it mean yeah. to have a very sophisticated mid palate? It's uh, it's the creme de la creme. Carson wishes he had it, but uh, we're still working on it to develop it. But it's, it's not the front, and it's obviously not the back where all the tannins are. Um, 
So it's just one of those things. You're either you got it or you don't. And I, uh, I've been told multiple times by some winemakers, some sommeliers, some wine owners in Napa um, that they thought I had a really good mid palate to be able to taste some of those things. So that's, you know. To each his own, Drew. To each his own. <laughs> but that's really, I mean, that's a, wine. Just yeah. a second, kind of what Drew's saying. I mean, I don't know. I, I like to drink wine. I, I don't I don't really care about where it's from, what region it's from, what vintage, what I don't care. Um, but I just think, you know, there, there's a handful of really good Pinots. If, if I, I live at high altitude, I live at 9000 feet altitude now, so I can't drink cabs anymore. I don't drink cabs anymore. If I do drink wine, it's Pinots um, and Pinots, just a great substitute for for cabs because like drew's talking about a decent cab is 100 plus bucks a bottle you can find a really good pinot like um like uh william selman or william selium you know you know that that brand drew right william selman black and red label it's like 60 bucks a bottle solid bottle delicious bottle um but at the end of the day i mean I, I really don't care where it's from, what region it's from, who the winemaker is, as long as it, um, as long as it tastes good and, and the bottle's not empty, I like it. Yeah, Sea Smoke's a good Pinot too. That, I found out that's Michael Bidwell's favorite Pinot is Sea Smoke, so I made sure to get him some Sea Smoke when my contract was expiring. It's a smart man. I was told at a winery when I first started to kind of get into it that. Uh, you taste wine basically with your nose. And as you guys can tell with my schnoz, that's a good thing. So, yeah, it's always the second sip too. the first sip. Don't, don't, don't take that into account. You always have to get the second sip to truly taste what the wine is like. All I know is it was awful when I got COVID last year because I couldn't, I couldn't smell it. Even with this thing, this big nose, yeah. I, I it ruins it. it. Well, Hey guys, I really appreciate you guys doing this. Uh, we, we could definitely have, touched on a lot of other subjects, but I appreciate the time, fellas. Thanks so much. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, thanks, Dave. It was a lot of fun. Had so much fun with Carson and Drew. We could have gone another hour. There were a lot of questions I had that I didn't get to, but we we kept those guys long enough. How about Drew saying how complimentary the folks in Napa Valley were about his mid-palate and what exactly that means? Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. And hopefully if you out there are interested in wine, actually were able to glean something from Drew and Carson talking about how expensive their their wine tastes are. Hopefully there was something you could get out of that for a uh, more value purchase at the grocery store. Uh, Of course, they had some very interesting thoughts on Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals and whether they can make a deep run in the playoffs. It was great to get Drew's perspective on Tom Brady being a part of that championship run And just hearing Carson talk about what it was like to lead that Cardinal team back in 2015 to the NFC Championship game. Those two guys were so important to the Cardinals' success and the culture that was built here. And hopefully, this Cardinal team can get as far as that Cardinal team. Maybe farther. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Hotels and Casinos. Thanks again to Carson Palmer and Drew Stanton. We'll talk to you next week. The legendary Al McCoy, Suns broadcaster for 50 years, will be our guest on the Dave Pesh Podcast.